Hello and welcome back everybody to the Three Point Threat Podcast, the Utah Jazz Show. Uh, really excited to have you guys here for the 27th episode of the Three Point Threat. Um, before I get started, want to real quick give a special thanks to Brandon Apter, uh, who did a crossover show with me last week. Uh, Brandon Apter is of Sixerdelphia and phillysportstalk.com. Um, thought it was fun. Him and I talked a lot about the uh, Rookie of the Year race between Ben Simmons and Donovan Mitchell, so I wanted to give him one last thanks. Um, it's a good time to be a Jazz fan, guys. Things are exciting. Only eight games left in the season. And for point number one today, we're going to jump right in and talk about that. I want to talk about the playoff race, how tightly contested it is, um, what I envision for these last eight games for the Jazz, and where I think they're going to end up once the dust settles and all is said and done leading up to the playoffs. Then for point number two, um, I touched on this a little bit last week with Brandon. Obviously, we talked about the Rookie of the Year race, but I want to talk about, you know, a handful of end-of-season awards that I think there's some Jazz uh, players and personnel that deserve some recognition. Not saying the Jazz are going to win all or any of these awards, but I definitely think the Jazz have some guys that are up for um, award consideration. So that will be point number two. I want to chat about that. Then last of all, as you've come to expect, we'll take a look at the week ahead for the Utah Jazz for point number three. Obviously, every game, every week is so important as the Jazz look to make a playoff push. And they have some big ones coming up this week. I'm really excited for them. So that'll be the agenda for today, guys. Let's jump into point number one, chatting about the playoff race. Point one. So as of this recording, um, it's it's Monday evening right now as I'm putting this together. So obviously tonight's games will change some things, um, as will obviously the slate that's coming up on Tuesday um, when many of you will be listening to this. Um, but right now, you know, the Jazz are in eighth place, tied with the Minnesota Timberwolves, who are currently playing the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, obviously Minnesota is ahead in the standings because they have that tiebreaker. And it's real interesting, guys, because I know it kind of feels disappointing for the Jazz to be in eighth place. I really think that game against the Hawks, uh, which I'll talk about in the third segment today, I know that that game was so disappointing and kind of has us all feeling a little bit um, frustrated with where the Jazz are at. But honestly, they're, they're still okay. I guess that's the message I want to get across as I talk about the playoff race. Um, they're only a game out of sixth and fifth place where New Orleans and San Antonio are tied. They're only a game and a half out of fourth place uh, where Oklahoma City is. And they are just three and a half games out of third place. Honestly, Portland's playing really well. They just came off that awesome. Well, I thought it was awesome because I was cheering for them. Uh, they came over. They came just came off of that big win against Oklahoma City the other night. So they've looked exceptional. But the fact of the matter is, um, while I don't know if the Jazz will get up to fourth and certainly not third, um, they have a really good chance to get into fifth or sixth. And um, also a really good chance just to get into seventh, which may not be as bad as some of us thought. Um, for the jnotes.com earlier today, I actually wrote about how you know the seventh seed isn't looking as bad as it once was because the Golden State Warriors are more than likely going to be without Steph Curry in the first round of the playoffs. I don't know if that becomes my first choice by any stretch of the imagination. Obviously, Kevin Durant is still an exceptional player. Uh, Draymond Green, Klay Thompson, um, a good bench, a good coach. We all know the we all know the drill with Golden State. But honestly, I feel like the Warriors are looking a lot more vulnerable this year than they have in the past. Especially Especially if Curry can't play, and with the way the Jazz have matched up against them in the past two contests, obviously, you know, uh, the win on Sunday is a little bit misleading since they were without all four of their All-Stars. And then, of course, you could always attribute the Jazz's 30-point win over the Golden State Warriors, you know, back in January. It's kind of a fluke game, for lack of a better term. But still, I really feel like the Jazz match up reasonably well with the Warriors. 
and it sounds like there's a very good chance, according to Steve Kerr, by how adamant he was, almost a certainty that Steph Curry isn't going to be playing in the first round of the playoffs. You know, you throw in, you know, maybe Klay Thompson isn't recovered in time, maybe Kevin Durant's still ailing, whatever it might be, and all of a sudden this once invincible team is looking a little bit fragile, and maybe that seven seed isn't going to be, you know, as bad as some of us thought. That said, you know, I think there's some teams I'd still much rather play than the Warriors, even without uh, Steph Curry. You know, the Pelicans come to mind. Uh, the Spurs without Kawhi Leonard, I think the Jazz can still do very well against them. Uh, the Thunder is a scary matchup for me, although I know some Jazz fans feel really confident about that one. I guess, you know, maybe a difference in opinion there as far as um, how the Jazz can match up against Westbrook, George, and Steven Adams. Uh, Portland, um, I respect them, but I really feel like the Jazz have a big advantage with Gobert over Nurkic. Um, also have an advantage um, with their depth. I know Portland's bench has been playing much better this year and of late, um, but there's some things to like there. But I definitely would rather play Golden State than Houston. So I just think it's so important that the Jazz get out of 8th place and get into 7th. Um, if the Warriors were full strength, I might have a different opinion, you know. I really do feel like there's some ways where the Jazz can match up well against Houston too. Um, we've seen James Harden's kind of, you know, depending so heavily on the whistle and the free throw line. We, we've kind of seen that style not work as well in the playoffs. So maybe the Jazz could look to take advantage there and leverage that. But with the Golden State Warriors in their current state, um, with Steph Curry likely out and maybe other guys laboring as well, I really 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 hope the Jazz at least get to the seventh seed and the good news is I really think that they can do that um, you know they still play Minnesota uh, coming up on Sunday um, kind of a big showdown there the Jazz will have a good chance to potentially surpass them in the standings with that game as I mentioned Minnesota is playing Memphis right now I'd be surprised to see Memphis win that one but by the time you listen to this maybe we'll know that Minnesota dropped that game Minnesota's been very inconsistent of late um, kind of as a result of trying to deal with life after Jimmy Butler uh, the Wolves are just four Four and six in their last ten, and so they're looking very much catchable. Um, the Spurs, you know, I know they pulled out kind of a heartbreak win over the Jazz, but still the Jazz have the tiebreaker over them, which is so huge. They're just a game back. Same goes for New Orleans. The Jazz have the tiebreaker over New Orleans, who they're also just a game back um, of them as well. So I think there's a very, very good chance of Utah passing all three of those teams. Um, and perhaps Oklahoma City, although they've played relatively well, minus the uh, the loss to, to Portland the other night. So I don't know if I see that. I know that when I talked about the playoff picture uh, not too long ago, I was saying how cool would it be if the Jazz got into fourth place and got to play New Orleans in the first round as the fifth seed. Never said that was likely. It's looking even less likely now, um, but still would be a cool situation. Now I'm kind of readjusting. You know, after the loss to the uh, to the Hawks and to the Spurs, I'm kind of readjusting my expectations. And I do think, though, that really the fifth, sixth, seventh seeds are very, very still very attainable for the Jazz. Excuse me. And if they're able to do that, you know, based on where they were, um, you know, middle of January, that's going to be absolutely exceptional. And I think no matter who the Jazz play, they're going to have a very good chance of winning. Uh, Howard Beck of Bleacher Report recently did a short clip. Um, talking about how the Jazz are the team that nobody wants to meet in the first round of the playoffs, and I echoed that sentiment in a piece today on the JNotes.com. And I mean, it's true. This Jazz team is completely different from who they were the first half of the season. I know you guys have all seen it. Rudy Gobert is playing like an all-star defensively. Um, obviously, he's having a good impact offensively as well. Um, the Jazz as a team are clicking. When they hit their three-point shots, they are so dangerous. I know there's been games where they've struggled from behind the arc. Obviously, that game against Atlanta was one of them where the Jazz just could not find their offense whatsoever. So they have to avoid those kind of drought games. But if they can just find some semblance of the momentum and the chemistry and the hot shooting that they had during their 11-9 and game win streaks, I'm relatively confident that the defense is going to be there. Yes, I know Dennis Schroeder beat us up. 
um, even more surprising in some ways. I know LaMarcus Aldridge really beat us up. Um, honestly, the Jazz executed their game plan pretty well by forcing him into lots of mid-range tough shots. Unfortunately, Aldridge is pretty good at those mid-range shots, and when he gets going, he's a hard guy to stop. We've seen him score in bunches before. But those two kind of outliers aside, I really feel confident in Utah's defense that as long as they can get some offensive momentum, the defense is going to be there, and they're going to be a real challenge for any team, um, to any team that faces them in the first round, whether it be Golden State, Portland, uh, San Antonio, Oklahoma City, no matter who it is, the Jazz are going to challenge and compete with anyone that they that they face. And if they keep playing the way they have been of late, I think they have a really good chance of advancing. Looking at the teams behind the Jazz in the standings, um, you know, the Clippers and the Nuggets still aren't out of it. As of this recording, the Clippers are two and a half games um, behind the Jazz, and obviously the Jazz will still play them before season's end. Um, that could be a big game. We'll see. I feel like the Clippers have kind of slid out of things. Two and a half games doesn't sound like a ton, but with how tightly contested the Western Conference is, it really is quite a bit. That's going to be a hard slope for the Clippers to climb. Um, they also have a tough schedule to close out the year. I really would be surprised if they make it in, uh, but they're still nipping at the heels of the Jazz and those other teams in the playoff mix, so the Jazz got to be careful there. The Nuggets, as I said, as of this recording, they're a game and a half behind um, the Jazz. They're behind Philadelphia as of this recording right now, so there's a good chance the Nuggets will lose tonight. Um, that could change by the time you guys are listening to this, but as of this recording, Denver does look like they'll slide. Um, even if they do win, though, they'll still be a full game behind Utah. And, you know, I feel confident the Jazz can keep them at bay. The Nuggets have been pretty inconsistent of late. We know how bad they've been on the road all season. They still have quite a few road games left to close out um, the season as well. Um, but that being said, the Jazz can't get complacent. I know that all of us Jazz fans are really, really liking Utah's chances because of their 11-game win streak and their 9-game win streak not that long after that. Um, they've looked phenomenal. We've all kind of assumed that with that kind of play, you know, they're close to a lock to make the playoffs. But that really isn't the case, guys. I'm not trying to be a pessimist here, um, but there still is very much a chance the Jazz could drop out of the playoffs if they get complacent at all. Um, to be honest, you know, that leads perfectly into what I wanted to talk about last year. The Jazz have eight games left on the schedule. Okay, so they got the Celtics at home, the Grizzlies at home, Timberwolves on the road in that big showdown on Sunday. Then they'll host the Lakers and the Clippers, then play the Lakers on the road, and then they'll host the Warriors and end with the Blazers on the road. So, you know, looking at that realistically, I'm going to break one, each one down real fast, um, especially the ones this week. I won't go into too much detail because I don't want to ruin, uh, obviously, our third segment. But Celtics are facing a bunch of injuries. I really feel good about the Jazz winning that one on Wednesday. Grizzlies, they kind of scare me because the Jazz seem to struggle with them. But at home and with how poorly the Grizzlies have been playing of late, Jazz should get that one. Timberwolves game, that's a toss-up. Um, Timberwolves have not been playing as well of late. But obviously, they're still a scary team. Things got real chippy between them and the Jazz last time. Um, it's going to be a fun one. I'm going to leave that one as a toss-up for now. Uh, Lakers-Jazz. Again, the Lakers have played better the second half of the season. That's going to be kind of a trap game. It's one the Jazz can't get complacent on. Um, at home, I think they win. But it's very possible they drop the one on the road that's just five days later. Uh, the game at home against the Clippers. The Jazz have actually looked good against the Clippers this year. I like their chances in that one. Uh, the one against the Warriors late in the year. Potentially a first-round preview. We don't know. Um, obviously, very, very doubtful that Steph Curry will play in that game since he's likely out um, you know, three weeks. And Steve Curry has already said that Curry will not play in the first round of the playoffs. Um, very good chance also that the Warriors are locked into the two-seed by that time. So they may be resting even more players. We may see a similar game as we saw on Sunday in that game on April 10th. Um, if that's the case, I really feel good about the Jazz winning it. If not, it's going to be a tough one and a great measuring stick to see if the Jazz are really ready for the playoffs. 
Last game of the year against the Blazers, um, going to be tough unless the Blazers are resting, are resting players because they're locked into that third seed, for example. Hard to know what to expect in the last game of the season because we don't know what's going to be at stake at that point. But honestly, looking at these eight games, I feel relatively confident that the Jazz can go 6-2 and two, um, with the Timberwolves game scaring me a little bit with the Warriors and Blazers games really being contingent on who is resting and who is playing. And then even the games against the Lakers and the Clippers are ones that can't be slept on. You know, like I said, the Lakers have been playing better of late. Um, the Clippers may still be fighting for their playoff lives in that game. Um, who knows? But 6-2 and two feels pretty reasonable to me. Honestly, the Jazz could go 8-0, though. As I've kind of described, each one of those games is winnable. But I think it's perfectly fair to say, hey, there may be two of those that they draw. If the Jazz are able to do that, go 6-2 and two, um, to end of the season, they'll be 48-34 and 34 on the year. And obviously, I know we're not there yet, but I want that to sink into you guys for just a second. 48 wins when last year we won 51 with an all-star in Gordon Hayward. And this year we started out the year horribly and we're down, you know, nine games below 500 in January. We were 19 and 28. All of a sudden this team could very well have about 48 wins. Um, if they go undefeated to close out the year, which I don't see happening, but honestly it very well could um, based on the strength of schedule, um, what players may be resting, if the Jazz can, you know, keep up the momentum from their previous win streak. The Jazz still have a shot to be a 50-win team. That's just absolutely mind-blowing. If you factor in that Rudy Gobert um, hadn't gotten hurt this year, if he had remained healthy all season long, there's an extremely good chance that we surpassed last year's win record of 51 wins. That's absolutely astounding. Um, you know, regardless of what comes at the end of the season, there's just no denying how good of a turnaround this has been and how special this Jazz team has been and how special the future is ahead. And that actually leads in perfectly to point number two. I want to talk about some people, some players, and other personnel um, with the Utah Jazz that because of this special season, they deserve some recognition and some consideration for end-of-year NBA awards. Point two. So we all know the Jazz aren't typically thought of as, you know, the first team that comes to, to people's minds when they're thinking about end-of-year awards. I mean, Jerry Sloan, for example, who's one of the most legendary coaches in the NBA, never won a Coach of the Year award. Um, it's kind of been par for the course that the Jazz are overlooked in terms of all-star bids and, and being selected for the all-star game. Um, you know, even when Gordon Hayward won it last year, it was a pretty big surprise. A lot of people wanted Rudy Gobert in, and he didn't get that nod, obviously. Um, he made up for it for being, you know, a recipient at the end of the year of the All-NBA Awards, um, which in my mind is a bigger deal than being an all-star, obviously because it takes the whole season to consideration. I personally think that it's a little bit bigger of a deal. I know it's not as glamorous as, as being an all-star is. But anyway, the fact of the matter is that the Jazz aren't typically associated with, you know, award winners. But this year, I really think they have four guys that deserve consideration for end-of-year NBA awards. And when I say that, by no means do I think the Jazz should just totally sweep the show and take home all four. I'm a homer, but not that bad, I'll say. Um, but I really think the Jazz deserve to be in all four of these conversations. And I'll begin with the one that's the least likely. That one is most improved player. And as I mentioned on my show last week, for those of you that listened, uh, the Pacers are actually my second favorite team. And I really think if anybody besides Victor Oladipo takes home the most improved player award at the end of the year, it'll be an absolute outrage. Um, love what he's done there. I love what the Pacers have done this year. Bravo to them for not following the narrative of, of tanking like some people thought they would and should. Um, it's a lot like the Jazz. You know, a lot of people thought they would and should tank, but both teams have really defied the odds and proven the critics wrong. I love that. And I really think that Victor Oladipo should win the most improved player when all is said and done. You know, taking that team, they still have a shot to win or to earn rather uh, home court advantage in the first round of the playoffs. That's, that's pretty special there. 
But for the Jazz, you know, I really think that Joe Ingles deserves to at least be somewhat in the conversation for most improved player. And I mean, you just look at what he's done this year compared to last year. And his points are up from 7.1 to 11.5. Um, he's shooting a little bit better from the field. He's up to 46.5, which is a career high. Um, his three-point percentage is up to just a, just a hair under 45%. Obviously, it wasn't that long ago that he was shooting 45%. Um, he, he's really established himself as one of the best three-point shooters in the league. His free throw percentage has a career high, 82.4%. And he's just been so impactful this year. I mean, he stuffs the stat sheet night in and night out. He, he averages over four rebounds and four assists per game. He's got a steal per game. Uh, we know that his defense is underrated. Lots of times he's drawing tough assignments night in and night out. One of the things that Joe Ingles has done too is he's really diversified his game, especially I've noticed of late. Um, to me, maybe he's been doing this sooner than this, but it's really stood out to me since the All-Star break is that Ingles has been a lot more aggressive at looking to score at the rim. He'll kind of do this move where he goes in and fakes a pass to Gobert or, you know, the opposing defenses don't think he's going to go to the rim. He's going to pass it out or do something like that. He just goes up and he has a little scoop shot or a little floater. And it's been awesome to see him diversify his game in that way. You consider the Ingles as 30 years old, but he continues to improve and add to his game. It's pretty awesome. And while I don't think that he deserves to be the most improved player in the league, he certainly deserves to be in the conversation as one of the most improved players in the league. Especially since, you know, I don't think it was expected that Joe Ingles was going to be our starting small forward this year. And what I mean by that is, honestly, Ingles had solidified himself as the sixth man, as coming off the bench and being awesome in that role. But it was pretty much expected that, you know, with Gordon Hayward re-signing, Gordon Hayward would obviously be the starting small forward, and Ingles would continue in that role. Instead, with Gordon Hayward leaving the team, it's been up to Ingles to kind of fill that role. And he was... You know, he was almost too gun-shy to start out the year. He was a little bit, you know, underconfident. He passed up with some good looks. And I think now he's realized that while he doesn't have to be the primary scorer by any stretch of the imagination, I think he's really realized that he does need to be productive on offense. And that the team and Coach Snyder really trust him to be productive on offense. Um, you know, he's up to almost 12 points per game on the season. Uh, but you look over these last... Um, 27 games where the Jazz have won 23 of those 27. He's up to almost 15 points per game. He's shooting almost 50% from the field and just over 47% from three. So he's really upped his game, you know, during this big stretch of this big run that Jazz have gone on to fit what the team needs. And to me, you know, you can look at stats all you want. You can crunch numbers and see who's had the biggest jump in all these different areas all you want. But to me, the most improved player award should also go to someone that has been willing to adapt or to diversify, or to just look for ways to make the team better. And that's exactly what Joe Ingles has done. You know, in some cases, you know, players make a team better by adapting a different role or, or sometimes taking a lesser role. Joe Ingles has really become a most improved player in my mind because he has taken on a bigger role. He's realized, hey, I have to not be so gun-shy. I need to take shots when they come to me. I need to be willing to take the open three. I need to be willing to be aggressive and attack the rim. He hasn't just settled for being a jump shooter in this league. He's he's really looked to improve in so many ways, and it's shown through, and, and he's kind of been an underrated part in my mind to the Jazz's success in this recent run. Yes, Donovan Mitchell has been our offensive workhorse, and he's been great defensively as well as he continues to grow as a rookie. We know that Rudy Gobert has been the backbone of the defense. Uh, Ricky Rubio has been great. As I mentioned a couple shows back, I owe Ricky Rubio a huge apology because he's become absolutely an effective point guard for this Jazz team. But, you know, behind all those guys, I really think that Joe Ingles deserves a ton of credit for being one of the 
catalysts in pushing this Jazz team to the next level. So that's really my reasoning for him being, you know, in the conversation for most improved player. I don't think, honestly, the league's not probably going to recognize him as even one of the final candidates, but he deserves some love for being considered for that award. Next one is Defensive Player of the Year. This one I feel like goes without saying. Rudy Gobert has absolutely revolutionized Utah's defense. I think there's no way that you can really argue that. During this recent stretch in which the Jazz have won 23 of 27 games, um, they are posting a defensive rating of 96.2, which is easily the best in the league. Obviously, when Rudy Gobert is on the court, it's, it's much better. It's 95.1, and it's just astounding what he has done with the team. He's turned them into, you know, a probably a, a lottery team, and he's helped them rediscover their defensive identity. Obviously, he's he's long been kind of the heart and soul of the Jazz team, especially on defense, and he just allows the Jazz to do so much. The funny thing is, you know, sometimes we see games where Rudy Gobert struggles, such as against LaMarcus Aldridge, and, you know, that's going to happen to anybody. These are great players that he's going up against. But you really think about it, and Rudy Gobert is making life difficult for every player on the court because the Jazz know that with Rudy Gobert defending the rim, they can defend their guys tougher on the perimeter. They're not so worried about getting blowed past. So I just think that Rudy Gobert has been so effective. And honestly, if he had kept up this pace that he's at during the Jazz's recent run um, for the entirety of the season, and if he hadn't gotten injured, I think that he would be far and above the front runner. What's really hurting him is obviously the games that he's missed. Obviously, he had the two knee injuries that kept him sidelined for a significant portion of the year. Um, but then again, I think when you look at how much the Jazz have improved since Rudy Gobert returned to health and how staggering their defense has been during that time, it's hard to argue that he's not still deserving um, even with those absences. Really, the defensive player of the year, in my mind, is the guy that makes the biggest defensive impact for his team. And Rudy Gobert's defensive impact has been so great that even with the time that he missed, he's deserving of consideration for that award um, because of how well he has played. The next one I want to talk about is probably the one that I'm, I'm honestly most passionate about, and that's Coach of the Year. And I really feel like this one should go to Quinn Snyder. Um, not just that he should be in the conversation like some of these others. Honestly, I feel like Quinn Snyder deserves to be the Coach of the Year. And I know there's a lot of intriguing cases, a lot of other guys you could argue that deserve this award. I mean, you can look at you know a guy like Brad Stevens, who's had to deal with plenty of injuries, uh, much like Quinn Snyder did last year. Still has his Celtics firing on all cylinders. I mean, Brad Stevens, I know that Jazz fans are bitter against, against Gordon Hayward, but if we put that aside for one minute, you just think about how hard it would have been for Jazz fans to start out a new season, to have their best player go down for the entire season, to have a leg break like that. Imagine if that happened to Rudy Gobert. Or I know we didn't know how good Mitchell would be at the time, but imagine if that happened to Donovan Mitchell. How would we fill that void? It would be almost an overwhelming thing to think about overcoming. And honestly, yeah, the Celtics have had some setbacks, but Brad Stevens has made up for the loss of Gordon Hayward phenomenally. There's a lot of good players on that team. It wasn't ever going to be just Gordon Hayward's team, but just the fact that he lost his all-star, his newly acquired all-star on day one, and has been able to keep the Celtics so competitive is a pretty big testament to him. Um, there's other coaches, you know, such as Terry Stotts, who has the Portland Trailblazers rolling. I've always thought that Terry Stotts was an underrated coach, and he's proving this year that he is exceptional. Um, I think Nate McMillan with the Pacers deserves some love. Um, I'll be honest, I was pretty critical of the Nate, Nate McMillan hire when it first happened. I was critical of him last year. Uh, but if anything, he's proved me absolutely wrong by showing that, you know, last year's team was more a problem of disgruntled vets than it was of coaching because he's taken a hungry young team that everyone thought was going to be a lottery, a lottery 
lottery team. You know, most people had the Pacers finishing anywhere between 12th and 15th in the East, and right now they're faced with a chance to finish, you know, fourth or third potentially. I think he definitely deserves recognition. Uh, also, Dwayne Casey, I think, could be in that argument. He's really revolutionized the Raptors and has made them a contender in the Eastern Conference. Uh, the list goes on and on. Mike D'Antoni, can't leave him out. I mean, Greg Popovich is always going to be in that conversation. Steve Kerr as well, although I think, you know, that recent kind of slump is going to hurt him. Um, but the fact of the matter is, even with all these situations, I still think that Quinn Snyder deserves it. If he doesn't actually win the award, it will be absolutely appalling if he is not at least one of the finalists this year. I couldn't believe how, you know, you look at last year, and Eric Spolster led his Miami Heat team to an absolutely phenomenal turnaround. I'm in no sense denying that. When all was said and done, the Heat came up short. They didn't quite make the playoffs. But that doesn't change the fact that they were 11-30 and 30 and then ended up finishing with the 500 record. I mean, that's an awesome turnaround, and I give him major props for that. Um, and, and like I say, there, there's nothing to take away from that because it was a it was a phenomenal a phenomenal stretch that saw the Heat go an incredible 30 and 11 to finish out the year. However, at the end of the day, you know, even though they were that many games below 500, they ended up not making the playoffs. And to me, that was that was kind of the reason why he obviously didn't win Coach of the Year. You look at this season. And not only were the Jazz nine games below 500, which, which I realize isn't as bad as 11 and 30, uh, but still 19 and 28. Um, you know, at the time of year where they were at that record, was, was pretty bad, especially in the um, the horribly tough Western Conference. Not only did Quinn Snyder have to deal with a 19 and 28 record, but he'd also had injuries. You know, all season long, he lost uh, Dante Exum before the season had even started. Um, I know that Dante's still working to get back into form, but we we'd all hoped that Dante Exum would be a key part of this team. Obviously, Rudy Gobert went down twice with, with two different injuries. Um, later on, he would go on to lose Tabo Sefalosha, who had been awesome for the Jazz. He'd been one of the brightest points of the Jazz earlier in the year. And then all of a sudden, now the Jazz have had this major turnaround. And despite the injuries, despite the poor record, it looks like they're going to make the playoffs. And if they do make the playoffs, I really think that Quinn Snyder has to be one of the front runners for the award. He has to at least be considered. Because like I said, Spolster got all this praise um, when his team didn't even make the playoffs. If... Uh, if Quinn Snyder goes on to actually make the playoffs now, he absolutely deserves praise of that. I think, you know, there's been so many coaches, such as Greg Popovich recently, who said, um, you know, that he deserves that consideration. I believe Mike D'Antoni as well mentioned that Quinn Snyder was deserving. There have been plenty of other coaches who, who have also, you know, praised Quinn Snyder as being, you know, a, a deserving candidate, deserving to be in that conversation. So I really think when it all comes down to it, you have to look at what he's been able to accomplish this year, both with you know the injuries, with the poor start to the season, losing his all-star, leading his two leading scorers in both Hayward and George Hill uh, last summer, and how he's really been able to turn this whole team around and get them back on track. Obviously, he's been exceptional at making the most of, out of what he has, and he's just praised across the league as being an incredible basketball mind, and we've seen that in action, so I certainly think the Quinn Center deserves that. Um, the next one is, you know, kind of along those same lines as executive of the year. I think that Dennis Lindsay deserves to be in that argument. I mean, again, when you lose your two leading scorers, um, and especially with the way that Gordon Hayward left and how little options were left for uh, Dennis Lindsay and the Jazz after that fact, it's it's incredible to see what he's done. And, you know, when he signed Tabo Cephalosha and Jonas Trebko and Epe Udo, um, to those deals this summer. None of those were very flashy or very sexy, um, but they've panned out well. I know that Cephalosha's obviously been out for most of the Jazz's successful part of the season, but he still has been an important locker room presence, and he still figures to be an important part next season, assuming he can come back healthy. 
Um, and beyond that, obviously, you have the Donovan Mitchell trade um, where Dennis Lindsay traded up in the draft to get him. And even Dennis Lindsay has admitted that, you know, a part of that is luck. Uh, none of us knew that Mitchell was going to be as good as he's been. But still, he had the foresight and the knowledge to know that that was a guy they wanted to go get. And they went and got it done. And just the fact that the Jazz have bounced back how they have and, you know, maybe maybe Dennis Lindsay won't win um, Executive of the Year for this for this season because um, a lot of people aren't really paying attention to it. But if you really look at the Jazz's payroll and realize what they're doing and how they're going to be, you know, primed to have success financially and potentially wooing some good players in the next year or two, you know, I think he deserves recognition just for that, that he's actually set this team up for extreme success when there are so many other organizations right now in the NBA that are just strapped for cash and they're in big trouble because they don't know you know if they're gonna be able to afford any good players they have contracts that they don't know what to do with really the jazz right now they have alec burks's contract that's that's not great but it's not killing them by any means and honestly as it's going to be an expired next year which could be a potential trade bait um really the jazz are in a great spot financially and have the chance to to make some big moves in the future so again maybe dennis Lindsay who doesn't win executive of the year this year um, but he's really setting himself up to do just that um, because of how savvy he's been, how well the Jazz have bounced back from, from, from some setbacks, and he could potentially earn that recognition sooner than later with the way he set the team up. Last of all, and I won't spend a ton of time on this because I talked about it so much last week, uh, but obviously Donovan Mitchell for Rookie of the Year. I think he's right there. Um, the debates go on and on. And, and again, the thing I want to say is it's so frustrating how people think we need to criticize Ben Simmons in order to lift Donovan Mitchell up or vice versa. Both of these guys are phenomenal players. They're on extremely fun teams that both should be in the playoffs. Obviously, the Sixers just clinched a playoff spot not that long ago. The Jazz are still battling to do just that. Uh, but really, to me, um, what sells me on Mitchell is just the fact that you know he's taken a team that had pretty much no expectations. And yeah, the Jazz didn't have a great record in December, but I can promise you it would have been a whole lot worse if we wouldn't have Donovan Mitchell. He kept this team afloat and kept them intact until Rudy Gobert could come back. Now that Gobert has been back, uh, Mitchell continues to be our guy in the fourth quarter. He's been a go-to guy on a team that's fighting its way into the playoffs. You can compare stats and accolades and all these first-time things, Rookie of the Month awards, all you want. But at the end of the day, I just feel like the Sixers without Simmons are still going to be okay. I mean, Embiid's still going to be their guy. Um, but the Jazz without Mitchell, they're in big trouble. And that's not to say Mitchell doesn't have any help. By no means am I saying that whatsoever. And it's not to say that the Sixers would be, you know, where they are today without Ben Simmons. That's not it either. But I just feel like, you know, Donovan Mitchell has become such a focal point for Utah's offense that they'd be close to lost without him, whereas the Sixers would still have other guys that could generate and perform on both ends of the floor where they would be okay. Mitchell, in some ways, is just the most valuable player for the Jazz and as for a rookie to be, you know, even a team's individual MVP, that's so important and that's so big. And that's why I think he, at the end of the day, deserves that award. Do I think he'll win? Honestly, I really don't. Um, but I'd love to see it happen. And I think he's definitely worthy of that. So that's my thoughts on awards, guys. You know, as much as it would pain me to see it end up like this, I could see the Jazz getting snubbed in all of those categories. Um, but, but at the same time, I hope that at least all five of those guys... Um, get some get some credit and get some respect for, for what they've done this year. They should at least be in all those conversations. With that being said, let's move on now to point three, a look at the week ahead. Point three. 
All right, so I know I touched on this a little bit already as I was going through the uh, kind of the playoff race for the Utah Jazz. But obviously they have three games ahead this week. Wednesday they will host the Boston Celtics. Friday they'll host the Memphis Grizzlies. Then Sunday they'll visit the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, going through those one by one, obviously the game on Wednesday isn't going to be quite as exciting as we'd hoped it would be heading into the season. I know a lot of Jazz fans had this one circled on their calendar as the return of Gordon Hayward. Um, he likely will not be there, and he certainly will not play, um, obviously, as he recovers from the, the broken leg he suffered in the uh, season opener. Um, honestly, much like the Jazz took care of business against the injured Warriors on Sunday, uh, with Kyrie Irving out and the Celtics dealing with other injuries, such as Marcus Smart, I really do think the Jazz are going to win this one. But that's by no means a guarantee. I mean, honestly, the Celtics have still been playing good ball. I mean, they beat the, the Trailblazers recently. Uh, they beat the Thunder recently. That was that crazy one where they had to come back in the final seconds. Uh, they're coming off a win over the Kings, which obviously uh, is not an impressive win, but it's still uh, their third in a row. So, you know, the Jazz are going to have to be careful in this one because the Celtics still have Al Horford. They still have Jason Tatum, who's playing extremely well. I uh, still have Jalen Brown. So it's not a gimme by any means, even with the injuries. Um, you know, Terry Rozier is another one who's been, playing, who's been playing extremely well for the Celtics. So I'm not going to say this is a cakewalk for the Jazz, but I do think they're going to find a way to win. Um, they've obviously been good on their home court. They're going to have a lot of motivation to win this one, even though Gordon Hayward isn't playing. Um, just the fact of kind of showing up his team that he decided to spurn them for. And, of course, just where they're at in the playoff race. They need every win they can get. So I feel like the Jazz will be motivated, and they're going to get the job done on Wednesday. Next game against Memphis. I mean, this one really shouldn't scare me. Uh, the Memphis Grizzlies have been pretty awful, as I know that you guys are well aware. Um, you know, they, they've lost four in a row, uh, lost nine of their last ten. Obviously, they're one of the teams that, that's really just tanking at this point. They had that horrible loss to Charlotte where they lost by, I believe, 61 points uh, last week. So it's really been pretty grim for the, for the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, for some reason, the Jazz have kind of struggled with them in the last two contests. Um, but on their home court and the way Memphis is playing right now, I don't see the Jazz having much of a problem. Of course, I said the same thing against Atlanta, and apparently I was wrong there too. Um, though I do think Atlanta presents some matchup challenges. But anyway, with that said, I do not think that Memphis is going to be that much of a challenge for the Jazz. I think they should come out on top pretty easily in that one. Last one of the week is the one I'm honestly looking forward to the most. Um, it's going to be intense. It's going to feel like a playoff game. I can almost guarantee it, especially if they're still, if the Jazz and Timberwolves are still right next to each other in the standings as they are right now uh, with the Timberwolves in seventh and the Jazz in eighth. Uh, this one could be huge, you guys. This one could be to, you know, move up in the standings. This one could end up determining their, their playoff seating come playoff time. And I know before I said this one was a toss-up because I wanted to wait to give my prediction now. And I'm scared to give it, to be honest, because I really could see this one going either way. Um, but I think the Jazz are going to find a way to pull this one out. The Timberwolves have not looked extremely sharp of late. Obviously, they're still kind of trying to find themselves um, after the loss of Jimmy Butler. They were recently beat pretty easily by the uh, the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, they've also lost recently to the Spurs. Um, but then again, they, they also beat the, the Clippers not long ago. So they've had some good wins. They've had some bad losses. Um, but I don't know. This one's hard to really to really come to a definitive conclusion because the Timberwolves are still a good team. Um, the Jazz, you know, they, they had been playing so well, even on the road, till they had that loss at San Antonio. I think the Atlanta Hawks game still kind of lingers in all of our minds. We're still kind of nervous that, well... Are the Jazz really, you know, are they still surging? Have they cooled off a little bit? What can we expect? So it's kind of a scary game, but I am going to go out on a limb and say the Jazz do figure out a way to win that one. Um, you know, I just think that between the, the Timberwolves' lack of defense and their lack of depth 
And of course, without Jimmy Butler, who's been their star and their closer, I really think the Jazz are going to figure out a way to come out big in that game. It's going to be a fun one. That's going to do it for today's show, you guys. Thank you for tuning in. Please make sure that you're following me at the J Notes uh, for any of the articles. Also, my personal Twitter handle is at Jared Woodcox. And, of course, the 3-Point Threat Podcast handle is at 3P Threat Podcast. Also, if you want to catch the show um, every Tuesday at 8 o'clock Mountain Time on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio, you can find it there as well as on Blog Talk Radio. Of course, I'll put the link out every single time on Twitter. Tell your friends. If anybody's looking for a podcast to follow, would love to have anyone else join you. Um, if you guys have any suggestions or questions you'd like me to cover on the show, please just let me know. I want this to be fun for jazz fans to listen to. I want it to be a good alternative to any other shows out there that, that maybe you want to have a different take on or, or anything like that. So be sure to spread the word on the three-point threat would love to have as many joining me as possible each and every week again guys thanks again for tuning in big week for the jazz let's hope they can go three and oh